This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Follow the outrage on Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Did I tell you it was going to happen or did I tell you it was going to happen? Hello, welcome to the program. My name is Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News on News Talk 580 CFRA right here in the nation's capital. And what did I tell you about the Ontario PC race last week? Well, you can check it out on brianlilly.com. You can see what I wrote a week before the actual race. The race that took forever. You know, if if you're watching on Facebook Live, I've... I've almost got a full beard that I grew just waiting for the results. But what I said was there's a specific way that the results will come about, right? If Tanya Granik Allen was higher and Caroline Mulroney was lower, then Ford had it. If Mulroney was higher and Tanya was lower, then Elliot had it. I didn't pick sides. I wasn't playing sides. That wasn't how I was rolling with this one. I was just trying to look at it dispassionately. And just like I got it with... Uh, Brexit with the Trump election in 2016, the 2011 federal election, which I called closer seat count wise for the Harper conservatives than their own campaign manager. Well, I've got a good track record on these things. When I when I remove my emotions, when I'm not sitting there full of emotion, I do well. Now, here's the hard part. It's tough to have a dispassionate view of Kathleen Wynne, Ontario liberals, because they are, quite frankly, so horrible. And Kathleen Wynne is out there trying to convince you that Doug Ford is a bad man, that you cannot back Doug Ford. I'm here to remind you of Kathleen Wynne and all her problems, even as she just goes along. (laughs) Colin McSweeney saying, you're wrong again, Lily. No, Colin. I was right, and in 2011, I called it closer than you and your party did. Uh, Kathleen Wynne is out there saying, oh, there's going to be a stark choice for voters. She made this comment on Twitter, and then she made it to reporters earlier today. Mr. Ford and I disagree on a lot of things, that there, there will be a stark choice in June, but that's not, I don't think that's news to anyone. You know, I think that what we are putting forward as a platform is, um, is very, very different than what, uh, what any of the Conservatives were putting forward, which is cutting and removing supports from people. Wah, 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 wah. Were any of the Conservatives saying that they're going to cut? No. No, not even Doug Ford. What's Doug Ford out there talking about? He's not talking about cutting. You'll hear from Doug just after 7.30 this evening, but this morning he was on with Bill Carroll just after 9 and said, look, I'm looking for efficiencies. I'm not trying to to cut people's jobs. I plan on driving efficiencies. Uh, the word cuts not my vocabulary. Efficiencies is we're going to drive lean systems, best practices, and technology. Uh, as we as we did in the city, uh, we saved over a billion dollars in the city. We're going to save billions of dollars for the taxpayers driving uh, efficiencies. Driving efficiencies. When you've got a government that spreads money like a fireman with a hose spreads water, that should be easy to do. 
Kathleen Wynne and the Ontario Liberals have zero, zero ability to actually help. I'm having a few people tell me they can't hear me on Facebook Live. Uh, Just uh, chime in in the comments if you can or can't hear me. We are having technical difficulties with this side at the station these days. But Kathleen Wynne wants you to believe that this is going to be all about cuts. All about cuts. It's not. Her and the Toronto Star are already out there. What what are they saying? They are, uh, the Star's pointing to health care cuts, uh, abortion, all of these things. That That's what it's going to be. All right, Ashley says she's hearing me perfectly fine. Thank you, Ashley. They say it's going to be all about cuts. They're going to try and bring up abortion. And why? Because Doug Ford was asked about, should parents of young teenagers be notified if your kid is... 13 is going for an abortion. I think most parents, whether they support abortion or not, would say, yeah, I'd kind of like to know about that. And we all know the story. The school nurse can't, uh, they don't have school nurses in most places. Uh, They can't give you, they can't give your kid an aspirin, but you can go for an abortion without the parents knowing. I think most parents want to know that. I don't think that's going to sell. This is not, oh, we're going to take away all abortion. Should Doug have touched it? Well, you know, political consultants would tell him no, but Doug's just going to speak his voice. He's going to speak his, he's going to speak plainly. And that's good. That's good in my view, despite what Rick Gibbons writing in the Ottawa uh, Sun was saying. It sounds like it's out of the Ottawa Citizen, but no, this was actually in the Sun today. This is the lead off of Rick Gibbons, the former publisher of the Sun. He said, Well, it could have been worse. Patrick Brown could have made a spectacular 11th hour re-entry into the PC leaders race by crashing Elon Musk's cherry red Tesla space roadster through the skylight, knocking out the party's only Commodore 64, thus necessitating a campaign restart. That would have been worse, right? That's how badly he views Doug Ford's election. Look, I am not buddies with Doug. I have met Doug several times. I've interviewed him. Here's what I can tell you about Doug Ford. One, he's not his brother, Rob. They are two very different men. Two, he's not Donald Trump. People want to keep making this comparison. Oh, he's Donald Trump. He's Donald Trump. Anyone that tells you that hasn't talked to the man. Anybody that tells you that doesn't know what they're talking about. Are there some light comparisons? Like they're both plain spoken. They... Hide how smart they are. They come from a business background. Sure. But trying to say he's like Trump, he's misogynistic, he's racist, he's this, he's that. No. You heard Doug Ford when he was asked about uh, dating people in your office. No. What are you, crazy? You go to a Doug Ford rally in Toronto. It will be the most diverse group you've ever seen in your life. That's the reality of uh, Doug Ford. So he's not his brother. He's not Donald Trump. And he's not an idiot. This is a man who I've worked for guys that took over companies that their fathers founded. And I've watched them take them from multi-billion dollar companies to multi-million dollar companies. Doug Ford has grown the family business. That's the truth. We need somebody like that who knows how to grow a family business, who knew how to find efficiencies at Toronto City Hall, We need that. What do we have in Ontario right now? We have sky-high hydro bills, even with the rebate. 
We have an education system where 50% of the students in grade 6 can't meet the provincial standard in math. We have a manufacturing sector that has lost 400,000 jobs. And do not tell me it's all due to computerization or modernization or robotics or anything like that. That is garbage. When you have plants literally moving across the river to Quebec, when you have plants moving across the border to Ohio, when you have plants moving to Illinois instead of Ontario, that is not a problem of, oh, well, it's modernization. We're losing jobs because we're unaffordable, whether it's the labor laws, the electricity rates, all of that. When it comes to health care, Kathleen Wynne is telling us you can't vote for Doug Ford and the Ontario PCs or your health care will be cut. What, like when they cut eye care? If you've listened to the show, you've heard me say I've, I've just been going through trying to get glasses. They're finally in. I'll pick them up soon. You used to get an eye care exam every two years with a doctor. This is a doctor you're going to see. You're not going to see lens crafters. You're not going to see Hakeem Optical. You go to see a doctor for your eyes. That's not covered anymore. Chiropractic care, not covered. A lot of things with your GP, no longer covered. And in fact, and you can check this out with someone like Dr. Barry Dworkin, often they have to go and ask for permission to get you a test that your doctor says you need. They have to go and ask a bureaucrat. That's a cut in health care. We have hallway health care in Ontario right now, and this woman is going to say, you better vote for me or your health care will suffer? Give me a break. I'm going to encourage you to go to brianlilly.com and uh, check in there regularly because I will cover this campaign on a regular basis there, and not everything that I write there will make it to air here. Sometimes we just don't have the time. Sometimes there's too much but I've got my piece up on why Doug Ford needs to be backed. I encourage you to go there, brianlilly.com, and read that along with the other articles and then share them on Facebook, on Twitter, by email, print them off and, and post them at your community center. I don't care, but spread the word because you know the mainstream media, they're after Doug now. It could have been Christine Elliott that won. They would have been after her because that is how the media works. You're great as a conservative until you threaten for power. And then they come after you. And then when you're done again, then you're a great guy. But if you can threaten for power as a conservative, you are their enemy and they're coming after you. So again, go to brianlilly.com, check it out. If you are watching on Facebook Live, join us for the rest of the show. We got Doug coming up in about 15 minutes time. Uh, You'll want to hear that. A story, you won't believe this. Uh, CBC actually published fake news and pushed for a big racial divide in this country. They lied. They lied on the national. They lied on the world at six. And we're going to bust them at eight o'clock with uh, my old pal, John Gormley joining me. And uh, we've got uh, another guy, Jim Carrey Hallows, who is probably the single most important person for getting rid of the carbon tax in the Ontario political landscape. He's going to join us just after eight thirty. Great show tonight. Don't go away again. If you're on Facebook Live, watch the, uh, listen to the rest of the show at CFRA.com. Or you can also check back with the iHeartRadio app. If you downloaded the old one, delete it. Download the 2.01. So much better. Apple or Android, always free. Download it today.
he's on your side. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Brian Lilly's Five Things You Need to Know. Number one story you need to know, Kathleen Wynne is going to try and scare the pants off of you for voting for Doug Ford. Uh, Doug Ford won the uh, Ontario PC leadership race on the weekend. I want you to forget all the people saying that this was a disaster and the worst political uh, leadership convention ever held. That's stuff and nonsense. Uh, Dalton McGinty didn't find out his result until 4.30 in the morning when he was elected. 4.30 in the morning. They didn't know what they were doing at that one. Everything took so long. And so this one delayed by a little bit. And as I said earlier, you know, it could have been Christine Elliott, the one they would still be portraying the Ontario PCs as fringe, as alt-right, as awful, as absolutely everything that Wynn is trying to do right now. So for the next number of weeks, I know there's going to be a lot of conversation about polls. There's going to be a lot of conversation about the politics that we're in. And I get that. But honestly, what we need to focus on as a, as a government and uh, from my perspective as the premier of the province, I need to focus on what it is that people are saying to me in terms of what they need. Aha. Uh-huh. What they need. What they need is apparently you to fund absolutely everything in the province so that you can get their votes. That's essentially what she's been tweeting about. Story number two that you need to know, Justin Trudeau is on another tour. So far, I haven't seen him doing uh, too many outfit changes. He's not trying to be Britney Spears, but he is, you know, he's dressing the part as he tours uh, aluminum and steel plants across the country to show support. This is nothing but political theater. Does the prime minister need to tour several different aluminum and steel manufacturing facilities to showcase that he backs them in the fight against the misconceived, ill-advised tariffs that Donald Trump wants to bring in? Well, I said last week the reason that he's jumping up and down about this has to do with Quebec. Where did he go first? Jean-Pierre, Quebec, up in the Saguenay region, a gorgeous part of this country. If you've never been, go. Just don't go in the winter. He was up in Jean-Pierre talking to aluminum workers there and saying the consequences of putting tariffs on steel and aluminum here in Canada would mean pain for workers and job losses and difficulties for workers and their families in the United States as well. That's because the level of integration uh, in steel and aluminum within our two markets uh, is deep, complex, and profitable to both of our countries. Now, when he was doing his media availability, I didn't see him wearing a hard hat and safety glasses, but we can expect pictures like that at some point. Story number three that you need to know, uh, this bizarre spy that came in from the cold story out of the UK. British Prime Minister Theresa May saying that uh, she now believes that Russia was behind the poisoning of former Russian spy and his daughter. Sergei uh, Skirpal is the former spy. He became a, an agent for the British and he and his daughter Yulia were exposed to military-grade chemical weapons, a nerve agent, one that Russia is known to use. Today, May stood up in the House of Commons in London, the mother of all parliaments, to denounce what Russia did. Mr. Speaker, this attempted murder using a weapons-grade nerve agent in a British town 
was not just a crime against the Skripals. It was an indiscriminate and reckless act against the United Kingdom, putting the lives of innocent civilians at risk. And we will not tolerate such a brazen attempt to murder innocent civilians on our soil. At least one British police officer has been exposed to this nerve agent. Others are being told to watch out, to wash their clothes, to look for symptoms. May said if Moscow is to blame, her government will consider it an unlawful use of force by Russia. They've given the Russian ambassador in London until Wednesday to reply. So far, their response has been this is all made up and driven by an anti-Russian media. Story number four you need to know. There's a new book out called The Politically Incorrect Guide to Climate Change by Mark Morano. He's the founder of ClimateDepot.com. And in the book, he takes aim at Kathleen Wynne's campaign buddy from last week, Al Gore, and catalogs how the former vice president became, quote, by far the most lavishly funded fossil fuel player in the global warming debate. Goes on to say, talk how uh, Gore wants to be the first climate change billionaire. Fantastic. I'll make sure that I tweet that one out. And story number five, tragedy in New York City. Zerly Motel, Mayday, Mayday, Mayday. Zerly Motel, are you okay? Trimmer, engine failure. I'm sorry, say again? Keep trimmer, engine failure. Become a little broken. I say it one more time. It was a Mayday call, LaGuardia. Okay, got it. That is the Mayday call from a helicopter that plunged into the East River in New York City, uh, killing all five passengers aboard. They were strapped in tight. It went down into the river, capsized, and they could not get out. Drowning in the East River, just trying to do a photo shoot. It was a um, it was a tourist helicopter, but rented out for the night, chartered out for a photo shoot when things went awry. Doug Ford will join us next. The new leader of the Ontario PC Party and most likely the next Premier of Ontario. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. the news with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. We will put a platform forward that speaks to every Ontarian. Together, we will return our province to where it belongs. We will make Ontario the leader of jobs and growth in Canada. I've said before, and I'll say it again, Ontario will be open for business. Ontario open for business? What kind of crazy right-wing nut job says those sorts of things? Kathleen Wynne is on a tirade against that man because he's so far right. Doug Ford said those words. Oh, wait, Doug Ford joins me on the line now. Doug, welcome to the show. (laughs) You sound so radical there, saying Ontario Uh, will be open for business. I know. How dare we say that when Kathleen Wynne lost uh, 300,000 manufacturing jobs and has destroyed this province, but uh, we will open for business, uh, Brian, and we'll attract companies here and we'll make sure that we reduce taxes and We'll do things that what people want uh, done, not not what the government or the liberal ideology 
that we've been living under for the last 15 years. Now, before we go too far into where you want to take the province, I should say congratulations on your win on Saturday night. Uh, it, it must have felt good despite the, the frustration. Yeah, it, it did feel good. It feels good to unite the party. It feels great that Christine's on the team and Caroline and Tanya and all the other MPPs and candidates. It's going to be an exciting time uh, for the province moving forward. And I just can't wait to uh, start this campaign. Matter of fact, the campaign started already. I I'm not even too, too sure why uh, we even have a writ period because all, all the parties are out there campaigning. So let's let's get the show on the road and let's start uh, uh, getting out there. The morning after, Caroline Mulroney was back in her Toronto area riding of York Simcoe knocking on doors. I know that Tanya Granick allen is looking for a riding to run in. Uh, you had to sit down with Christine, though, and and you two talk things over. You've known each other a long time. I know that. But what can you tell me about those meetings? Because, you know, I look at the online comments and some of your supporters and some of her supporters still have harsh feelings towards each other. Well, there, there shouldn't be. You know, leave, leave that up to Christine and I because we've been friends for over 25 years. Our family's been... Uh, friends and it was a pretty easy conversation to be very frank with you we sat down and discussed the plans for the province and uh she's going to play an instrumental role in the government uh, along with caroline along with tanya along with all the other mpps and the most important uh part of this this whole uh moving the, the province forward is the grassroots people are actually going to play a critical role in uh moving this province forward the morning after Kathleen Wynne was out with a tweet. There's a stark choice for voters on June 7th. They will choose between conservatives who want to slash spending just when families need it the most and an Ontario Liberal Party that believes government is a force for good and knows that now is the time to invest in care. Uh, I don't. Before we get into what you want to do with investing in care, Doug, how much of a brass neck does Kathleen Wynne have to have when we're dealing, to put that out there, when we're dealing with hallway health care. Yeah, I, I find it uh, pretty rich. She, she would say that. What, what families need relief uh, on is lower hydro bills. They want to make sure they have a good-paying job. They want to reduce the, the personal taxes. They, they want an economy that's booming. And right now, that's not the case. We have the highest hydro rates. Uh, we have a carbon tax that's going to kill companies and hurt people. Uh, we're going to put it in the right direction. I was doing a, a few radio hits in other stations, other markets today, and people are asking me about you and who's Doug Ford, especially outside of Ontario, where they don't really know you all that well. And I, I said, look, it, Doug is not his brother Rob. Doug is not Donald Trump. These comparisons don't actually always make sense. But how do you answer that when people say, see, he's just Donald Trump coming to Canada? <laughs> I got to laugh because... Our family was in business. Well, we were in politics. Yeah, the business of politics. We were in politics well before Trump, Donald Trump even existed. Our base is different. I'm a different person. And let's talk about what uh, what's happening south of the border, since people want to. The media wants to talk about that all the time. You know, there there uh, trillions of dollars are coming into into the U.S. They had the highest uh, thirty the tax rate, corporate tax rate at thirty six percent dropped down to 21%. They have the lowest unemployment in 20 years. Manufacturing jobs are coming back into the U.S. Then we look at Ontario. We have more rules and more regulations and more red tape opening up a business than you've ever seen before. 
We have 300,000 manufacturing jobs lost. We have $311 billion of debt, more debt than any region in the entire world. We're paying $12 billion servicing that debt. I can go on and on and on and on. So, you know, if we, if we do as well as what the U.S. is doing, having record low unemployment and creating uh, new manufacturing jobs and bringing money into our country, I'll be as happy as punch. Let's talk about manufacturing jobs because I, I'm, I grew up in a manufacturing town. I've been in journalism a long time. I, I work going to school in manufacturing jobs. I know what it's like to work the line. And it can be great. Sometimes it can be boring as, well, I'll get out. But they're good jobs. They pay well. In my time in journalism, almost 20 years here, Doug, all I keep hearing is that those jobs are going away and they're not coming back. And we all need to worry about the service economy and the knowledge economy. Uh, You look at what's happening in the States. You mentioned it. They're expanding there. We have companies in Ontario that have expanded into the United States, including your own company, Deco. Uh, Deco right. Labels. That's right. Would you classify well, y- your your family business as a manufacturing uh, company? And, and what yeah. do you see as the future for manufacturing in Ontario? Is it just going to die because of automation, because of robotics, and, and never come back? Or is there a future? I, I don't believe so. I think there's a, a future. I'll give you an example. When I was down in Windsor, uh, Ford was taking their uh, Ford engine plant and uh, moving 700 jobs down to Michigan. Uh, they're going down there because they don't have to deal with the carbon tax. They don't have to deal, deal with uh, exorbitant uh, hydro rates, and uh, they're more business-friendly. We have to do that up here. We have some of the, the brightest minds uh, in the world right here in Ontario. They need, an, uh, they need an opportunity to be true entrepreneurs and create jobs and employ people. So we're going to give them that opportunity and, and cut the red tape and bureaucracy and, and make sure that we... Uh, have Ontario open for business, but more importantly, Brian, we, we don't want Ontario just open for business. We want the companies here that are thinking of moving to the U.S. not to move to the U.S. They can expand to the U.S. and create jobs, but uh, I encourage them to stay in Ontario and uh, wait wait a few months. The red tape that you mentioned, it's something that conservative-oriented politicians talk about a lot. It's something that business people talk uh, about a lot. I didn't fully understand it, despite years of covering it. I didn't fully understand it, Doug, until I became a a freelancer, a contractor, and I've got to fill out compliance forms for just little old me. I can't imagine what the red tape and compliance costs are like for a company like the one your family operates or a steel mill like the ones Justin Trudeau's going around touring You've got to have either an awful lot of time that you set aside or hire professionals to do this for you. There's a cost to that. And all you actually want to do is focus on the business that you're doing, not filling out forms for the government so that they know that you are dotting I's and crossing T's. Yeah, there's more. You're you're right, Brian. You you nailed it. There's more rules and regulations up in Canada. I'll get the exact uh, amount on, on the new regulations that the liberals have implemented across the board. I I heard it was in excess of a couple thousand uh, different items that uh, they've put in. I think I'm being conservative on that number, but even even a uh, hundred is too many. Let the businesses, let the market dictate, let the businesses run. As long as they aren't uh, putting anyone in jeopardy and and uh, in the way of uh, making sure they have a safe work environment, that's what I'm concerned about. Making sure uh, they have a safe work environment. I can tell you, I travel around manufacturing. Companies all over North America. We 
we have a printing company that every product in the world has something printed on it or labeled on it. So I've had an opportunity to see every manufacturing company you could possibly think of. And the number one concern when you walk through that door is safety. Safety is a priority. Other than that, let the companies run. Let them employ people. You know, I... That's that money back into their company. One of the lines I worked on, I always laugh when people say companies don't care about the environment and they're all about waste. Uh, well, you've never worked in a plant, if that's what you think. I remember working in Procter & Gamble and, uh, and down on Burlington Street in Hamilton. And if we were on the toothpaste line that week and a tube came out twisted so that the label wasn't right, well, they didn't want to sell it because nobody wants to buy that. But they weren't just going to throw it out. So at the end of our shift, after we were done packaging, we had to take all the rejects, cut off the end, squeeze it into a vat, and then that toothpaste was recycled into an industrial cleaner with other stuff added into it, but it became the base for it because they said, we're not wasting anything. That's lost money. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. Speaking of Procter & Gamble and every other major Fortune 500 company, I know being in the packaging industry, they are so environmentally friendly. They are so focused on every aspect of their business to be environmentally friendly. Uh, speaking of Procter & Gamble, up in Bockville, they're closing a plant there, losing two, 300 jobs. That, that's, uh, that's not their fault. We haven't created the environment to make sure we keep the Procter & Gambles of the world here in Canada. We're going to start creating the environment to make sure they have tax incentives, make sure that we get rid of the carbon tax, and low hydro rates, low water rates, low uh, uh, real estate taxes as well. Last question to you, Doug. Uh, you know that Kathleen Wynne and the Toronto Red Star, they're already billing you as some kind of extremist, alt-right. Um, <laughs> you, you know the labels they're, they're going to throw at you. I know. They're nervous because I have majority of the Liberal vote and the NDP vote, so of course they're going to have to do that. So uh, how, do you, how do you answer that? It, how do you answer the extremist charge? Well, everyone, uh, we've seen what our family's done by, by no means are we extremists. We're pretty average Joes, as we, as we say. And, uh, you know, we, we don't uh, leave in anything when it comes to the extremist side. Uh, they've seen how we've governed. We did a great job in the financial side in the city of Toronto, saving over a billion dollars for the taxpayers. And we're going to do the same for the people of Ontario. But uh, they're nervous. Uh, they know that uh, 49% of traditional Liberal voters uh, vote for us in, in traditional NDP. Forty percent of union members vote for us. So we take care of the frontline workers. We take care of the grassroots people. You know what? I, who I don't take care of the political elites, political establishment, the political insiders, and all the cronies that are after your tax uh, dollars. They're done. Well, they all, they all know how to do it. By the way, Kathleen wins uh, campaign manager. I don't know if you've seen this. Something I reported on a while ago. David Hurley bills out Ontario power generation at four hundred and twenty dollars an hour. There you go. And you'll wonder why your hydro bill's so high. Those are the elites Doug's talking about, folks. Doug, thanks for the time tonight. Best of luck in the thanks campaign. Thank you. All the best. All right. Doug, Doug Ford joining us on the line from Toronto. When, when he talks about elites, the, the insiders and the elites, people scoff at that. But tell me that David Hurley is worth $420 an hour to advise Ontario Hydro on their high hydro bills. Tell me that David Hurley is worth the... $2 million that I documented he got from just the Queen's Park side of taxpayers, never mind the millions more from other departments. Tell me he's worth that. He's not, but he knows how to sink his claws in and get money out while the party that he backs is in charge. Come June 8th, he'll be unemployed.
Well, from that side anyway, thankfully. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Coming up just after 8 o'clock, this story is going nuts online. CBC pushing fake news to spur a racial divide in this country. Outright lies. It's been exposed. They're going to have to explain. We'll talk about that just after 8. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. You know that there is, um, I don't know what you'd call it, a lecture, I guess, going on at Trent University. I don't know if you caught this with Evan Solomon earlier today. He had the professor on. We'll bring you some of the audio of that later. Um, it's a professor from the University of Regina who's speaking at Trent University in Peterborough on the topic of it's okay to be against whiteness. Okay to be against whiteness. We've got a school district in British Columbia where they're doing an ad campaign. Members of their executive out there saying they got their job because of their white privilege and their undeserved white privilege. What's going on? After we talked to... um, uh, John Gormley about this lying CBC story just after eight. I, I'm going to delve into this a little bit because it's it's related to what's going on. This attempt to push a racial divide in Canada by the left wing and the media in this country. And it's really bothering me. I, as you've heard me say many times, I always go back to Martin Luther King Jr., And his dream that one day his four little children would be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And now the left is moving us to a point where everything is about race. So we'll talk about that um, in in about, well, less than half an hour's time after after we deal with CBC quite literally lying to the public. Shoddy journalism lying to the public. That's coming up just after eight. Uh, The prime minister, as you heard... Up in Saguenay, in Quebec, Jean-Pierre, Quebec, at an aluminum uh, plant. I was listening to um, uh, a French executive on TV, a French-Canadian executive on TV, and he, they almost say it like the Brits, aluminum. They say it different. We say in uh, Canada, English Canada and the United States, we say aluminum, and they say it some funny way in Britain. And the French Canadians say it the same way. Aluminium? I, I, I actually can't say it. It's aluminum. The Prime Minister's up there doing his tour, trying not to dress up too much, but he's there. We will continue to pull out all the stops to get the best possible results for Canadians and their families. We had your backs last week, and we always will. And we always will. I'm a drama teacher. I'm in full drama teacher mode. Look at the special outfit that I wore today so that I can speak to you. 
and tell you that I have your back. I went to the William Shatner School of Acting. That's unfair to William Shatner. William Shatner, outside of some of the hokiness he did on Star Trek, was fantastic on stage. Uh, I've seen old videos of him doing Shakespeare at Stratford. But I don't get why Trudeau has to do this tour, why he has to go out there and do photo ops in front of workers to show that he's going to stand up against Trump's bad idea of tariffs. That's because the level of integration uh, in steel and aluminum within our two markets uh, is deep, complex, and profitable to both of our countries. Uh, Tomorrow, he goes to the Hilton Works. Well, they used to be called the Hilton Works. Now they're Stelco Hamilton Works. That's where my stepdad worked for about uh, close to 30 years, about 30 years. So he's going to uh, tour Stelco's Hamilton plant, which is bizarre because it used to employ thousands and thousands of people. And now it's, I don't even know if it employs hundreds anymore on the plant side. Because they just make Coke now. They keep the, the oven going. They make some Coke that's used for steel production elsewhere. But they're not doing hot rolled steel out of there. That is all done out of their plant on Lake Erie, about a 45-minute drive away. So the PM at 9.30 will tour Hamilton Works. Then he goes downtown and has a roundtable discussion with steel industry leaders at the Sheraton Hotel. Then he goes back down to the... Uh, Burlington Street area to do a tour of ArcelorMittal DeFasco. Used to be called DeFasco, now it's owned by an Indian uh, company. And he's doing a couple of uh, pre-tape media interviews while he's down there. Um, You know, the Stelco works used to be a going concern. Mm, It's not the only reason, but part of the reason it's not anymore is it's not affordable. It's an older plant, but it's also not affordable due to regulations, due to costs, including electricity. That's what Doug Ford was talking about. I don't see Justin Trudeau doing anything on that front. In fact, he's just making it more expensive with his carbon tax idea. But don't worry, he'll roll up his shirt sleeves and get that photo op taken and make you think that he is on the side of the workers. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Uh, When we come back, we'll dive into that story. You you won't believe how bad the lying is from our state broadcaster on this one. And the fact that it revolves around race and it gins up a mob and makes people angry and divided makes it even worse. Join the resistance at facebook.com slash 580 CFRA. If you've been listening to me for a long time, you know that I am no fan of CBC. But even I will admit that there are reporters there who do good work. 
People like David Common is someone that I generally, I'm not going to agree with everything he reports on, but he's generally a uh, old-fashioned, pretty straightforward reporter. He's going to hit you with the facts. So it was a bit surprising when I started seeing tweets over the weekend from my friend John Gormley, who hosts radio uh, show across Saskatchewan. I was going to say Saskatoon, but it's across the whole province, John. And I started seeing you tweet out on this story CBC did on Gerald Stanley and Colton Bushy. And we've talked about the Gerald Stanley case here. Of course, it's been news across the country. Our prime minister's even said he's going to change the just, uh, justice system based off of this. But you noticed a problem with the story that aired last Tuesday on The National and The World at Six. And you said, hold on, that's wrong. But it took until you exposed it on the radio today to get the CBC to back down. And and since you went on air and just before we went on air, they've acknowledged that there's a bunch of mistakes in their report, but they're standing by the rest of it. Yeah. Ironically, uh, the the story is headlined RCMP sloppy and negligent in investigating Colton Bushy's death. (laughs) So I think we're now saying it. CBC is negligent and sloppy in reporting on Colton Bushy's death. Um, you know, this uh, we live right in the epicenter here, and the entire narrative of the CBC from the beginning is blameless, innocent, young indigenous victim shot dead by white racist rancher. Now, you don't even need to have carefully followed the trial to have known that young Colton was part of a group of people who were in the middle of a crime spree. They had broken into another farm just down the road, about 10, 12K, they had a loaded gun with them. Uh, the driver admitted he'd had 30 shots of alcohol. 30 that started, shots. That he started drinking that morning at Colton's grandmother's house. Now, tomorrow I'm actually going to unveil more on this that also came out at trial that none of the media have reported because it was in a voir dire uh, about the origins of that alcohol, which is really stunning, but I don't want to scoop myself because I'm okay. doing my show tomorrow. But So I'm reading the David Common story, and unlike you, I don't know David Common. been around forever in the CBC. And the story's all about the RCMP really dropping the ball. Well, I hang out with a number of pretty prominent criminal defense lawyers who from the beginning have said the CBC obsession and Chris Murphy, this Toronto lawyer acting for the Bushy family, about uh, blood spatter evidence and, you know, the entire SUV should have been tarped off and maybe even hauled away to Edmonton. They'll run entire murder trials on high-def photography on blood spatter evidence because it is what it is. Uh, I was talking to one defense lawyer who uh, won a case, uh, and then he lost another case, both with blood spatters in a bathroom. You know, and they take very detailed photographs, and experts on both sides, defense and crown, can analyze this. So a number of members of the defense bar have said this is a bit of a reach. But again, it plays into the narrative. Well, l- this l- is a racist RCMP, right? Let, let's talk about the narrative, because, you know... I- you're a lawyer by background. I went to Man. school for broadcasting. But what we're told in the media, you don't bring race up unless it's central to the story. And if you look at the facts dispassionately, I don't think that race it should be at the core of how this story is told. And yet it's constantly in the in the headlines, indigenous man killed by white farmer. Because this completely plays into the CBC narrative. And for that matter, you know, other national media as well. And I put this to a reporter the other day who was questioning me on this. And I said, in the 90 seconds to two minutes 
the entire tragedy plays out. An SUV with a muffler broken dangling comes screaming up a driveway, uh, heading toward my son, who's working on a fence. My son slaps the windshield with a hammer and says, get out of here, because he sees a guy jump out of it wearing a hoodie, rummaging through a vehicle looking for the keys. Another guy jumps out and heads to the shop. At the same time, a quad starts up. So you've got this group of people with hoodies. I'm not sure at that point I'm looking at their skin color. I'm looking at a bunch of guys trying to rob me. Bingo. And then all of a sudden the vehicle backs up and crashes into my wife's SUV. And my wife was there a moment ago on a tractor. I look over and she's off the tractor. And the thought that Gerald Stanley testifies was, quote, pure terror because I thought they backed over my wife. So he's got this gun. He shoots it twice in the air. He walks over. The vehicle is somebody's got their foot on the gas. It's redlining, but it's, it's stuck. He leans over to turn it off, and he has to push a gun barrel aside. And then the gun goes off into Colton Bushy's head. When you say he has to push a gun barrel aside, you mean the gun in the car, the rifle in the car. Yes, there's a rifle sticking out of the window. And he actually moves the rifle barrel aside, leans over. Now, whether or not the gun goes off by this hang fire, which was the defense theory, whether it was an involuntary movement by him, that doesn't matter. Because now the jury, of course, was convinced the Crown hadn't disproved accidents. So really, that's the nature of the case. And, and again, if you, as exactly as you said about the, the journalistic principles, would it matter if there were five Scandinavian kids? in this vehicle, trying to rob somebody's farm. It's moving so quickly, they're all wearing hoodies. Uh, This man responds the way he did. Let's talk about the, what I say are absolute lies that CBC has in this. There there were two, and and I want to read the exact quote from the original story in one of them. And look, I just listened to your SoundCloud today in crib notes. But uh, you detailed it well, and if anyone wants to hear John's full broadcasting, he's much more entertaining than I am. You can find it up at brianlilly.com. But the quote is from the original story. After being taken into custody on August 9th, 2016, Gerald Stanley was photographed at the nearest RCMP detachment, but was released shortly after and allowed to return the following day to file his statement. And they also said, quote, the RCMP never sees Stanley's clothes. Now, this story has all kinds of experts talking about how horrible this is, that this is bad police practice, that this would be sloppy and negligent. And if it were true, John, I would agree. Absolutely. But neither of those are true. Yeah, Michael Davis, the homicide investigator, says to the CBC, quote, you're telling me he was released? You know, that's not much of an investigation. But see, sadly, and I hope I'm not pulling back too strong a bow here, this has got a very ugly underbelly to it, Brian. Good old boy Mounties, right? Pat the rancher on the back and say, you know, you've just been accused of murder. Oh, go home, you know, and come back when you can make it to give a statement. Well, here's what we refute this. There was an evidentiary hearing before the trial began back in December. And this is where the Crown and the defense are arguing certain things should be admitted or they shouldn't be. Gerald Stanley was interrogated for over four hours so effectively by a Mountie that the defense moved to strike it all because they argued it was coercive. And interestingly, oh, no, no, no. It was just it was just a rookie cop. Bingo. It was a low level cop that he questioned him, didn't he? The, the that's, that's what CBC story. told me. Yes, the CBC says Chris Murphy says it was some low level constable. Well, this was a twelve year constable. Who, and, and one of the reasons he interrogated Stanley for four hours 
is let's now go to the judge's written decision. On August the 9th, Stanley was detained for murder. Four minutes later, six minutes later, he was arrested for murder at his residence. He was taken to the bigger RCMP detachment where he was lodged in cells. That evening, he consulted legal counsel twice. At 2.09 the next morning, August 10th, RCMP officers awakened Stanley to take swabs of his hands and to seize his clothing. So So they didn't let him go home to come back. They didn't let him keep his clothes. And and those would be the, you know, if they did, those would be the sloppy, negligent things. But this is in a court document that the Crown, the defense, and the The judge judge all agreed to? Absolutely. And this was heard back on December the 13th. Now, it was subject to a media ban until the jury went to reach its verdict. But this was an available document um, for the last number of weeks, for over a month. So, so the CBC, in the face of this document, proceeds with, and I mean, we laugh about this term all the time, because many people interpret it differently, but Brian, this is literally, by CBC, fake news, because the document completely refutes it. So then, this morning, the CBC starts to gradually walk back. Ready for this? A previous version of the story said that after first arresting Stanley, the RCMP released him from custody prior to taking a statement. One of our sources for that information is no longer certain this is accurate. Because it was a lie. It was a complete lie. So the CBC ran that disclaimer today, and then late this afternoon, just as they were all heading home at CBC Toronto, uh, the uh, formal uh, version came out where they walked away from both this and the wow. clothing issue, and they say there's no indication the RCMP ever seized Stanley's clothes. Um, in fact, they did seize the clothing he was wearing at the time of the shooting. So, John, I, uh, just so people know, when you say late in the day, um, I've been a thorn in their side for a long time. Uh, but, you know, in, in fairness to Chuck Thompson, who's their media relations guy, he, you know, uh, always fairly professional, very professional with me. But he he emailed me because I was already writing about this after seeing your tweets and and listening to that that segment of your show today. Uh, he uh, he emailed me at four fifty eight. Is the classic bureaucrat dump it and go home? And that that's what they did. Uh, they did say that there's going to be retraction, but these retractions. I mean, th- this story had follow on story after follow on story all last week. It had politicians commenting on it. They're not going to comment on the retractions. They're not going to comment on the correction. And CBC still standing by all those comments they got from the so-called experts saying how horrible this is. But those comments, I think the whole story should be gone. Those comments are based off of things that weren't true. Absolutely. And there, but again, there's a narrative here that in many ways, uh, I mean, let's put it this way. Chris Murphy, the Toronto lawyer who acts for the family, He's bound and determined and convinced this is all about racism. It's all about incompetent, um, in a sense, racist policing. Um, so Chris Murphy, I don't know if he was the source, because, of course, the CBC wouldn't divulge it, but they're doing the work for the Bushy family and for Mr. Murphy. It's one thing for them to stand up and make these claims, and their claims have resulted now in the RCMP civilian complaints 
commission taking a look at it. But that's between the family and the activists and the police. I'm not sure there's a place in the middle for the CBC to be making stuff up that comports with that. Speaking with John Gormley, uh, radio broadcaster out of uh, Saskatoon, you can hear him across the province of Saskatchewan, and he broke the story this morning that CBC, uh, in fact, flat-out lies in their story that uh, tried to make this about race. John, I don't, I don't live in Saskatchewan. I never have. Uh, but I'm guessing that, like most parts of the country, yeah, there's some racists, but that's not most people. Uh, would that be incorrect, or are relations between uh, First Nations people and uh, the rest of the population so bad that Saskatchewan is a festering cesspool of racism and CBC's on to something. Well, if you take the the position of the activists uh, aided and abetted by the CBC, your uh, latter interpretation is it. The former interpretation, and I think the accurate one, and surely, I mean, anybody in Saskatchewan who believes that racism isn't an issue in a lot of difficult times, I think is deluding themselves. You know, we've had a history here of racism, but gosh, you look at some of the success, you look at high school, university, college completion rates of Indigenous students, you look at economic development, you look at a lot of good stuff that's happening, the activists always come back to that narrative. When, when I was this out, is racism and getting worse. When I was out uh, doing a profile on your premier in province a few years ago, I met Chief Darcy Bear. Uh, just south of uh, Saskatoon, bragging to me about how he took his uh, reserve from huge unemployment to now he employs 500 people from the city who aren't First Nations in his businesses for the uh, the reserve. There are uh, problems and there are success stories, and I think the activists just want to look at the problems and drive. This is what really bothers me about this story is they are using it to drive a racial divide at a time when, you know, we're, we're there's a professor at Trent today talking about how it's okay to be against whiteness. We've got uh, the school district in BC talking about all of this and teaching it to their children uh, that you only get to where you are in life because of your unacknowledged privilege. And guess where the professor from Trent uh, is from? Yeah, don't remind me. He's from uh, your bizarre province. I, th- I think all the craziness has to do with the fact that you people don't do daylight saving time. <laughs> But I'll tell you, you're absolutely right in terms of the level of activism. And in a time, you know, when reconciliation is an important national imperative and we're getting a lot of stuff right, it always goes back to try and unwind it. And again, the whole narrative of the Colton Bushy case, nobody believes a young man should die. But a young man who was in the position this guy was uh, on what amounted to a crime spree, uh, it was very sad that he died. But again, this was not an act motivated in the main by racism. It was someone trying to defend their property and, and their, the lives of their family. Uh, John, good talking to you as always. And you've already sold us for uh, listening tomorrow to find out what you're going to reveal next. We will have some texts that came up uh, at the trial. The judge didn't admit them because he thought they were way too prejudicial. Uh, but you wouldn't believe what those texts said. We'll talk about that tomorrow. All right. Thank you very much. John Gormley, he is the host of Gormley, heard across Saskatchewan, joining us from Saskatoon tonight. Drop me a line, beyond the news at CFRA.com. I'm Brian Lilly. Stick around.
is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. I don't know how the Sens are doing down in Florida right now. I'm sure Ellsworth is not watching or working, and he's just watching the hockey game and can tell us the score. But Two nothing after one for uh, Ottawa. Okay, well, there's something more important that Dean Brown, the play-by-play voice of the Ottawa Senators, tweeted out, uh, and that is that um, Don Brennan from the Ottawa Sun is up in the press box with them, And he says, it's a special night here in Florida. Don has successfully eaten a plate of chicken wings in the press box and for the first time ever has no sauce or grease or anything on his clothing. Congrats, Donnie. It's gotten to that point in the sun season, has it? (laughs) That's what they're talking about, how much grease and sauce Don gets on his his clothing. When you're 10 games below 500, I guess, you know, you do what you got to (laughs) do. They're looking for entertainment just as we are. Look, I had promised that I would bring you some audio, but I, you know, I I heard it in the car and thought maybe it's just the way I was driving around. Uh, But no, it's not great sound with this professor, Mike Capella from the University of Regina, who's in Trent uh, Trent University in Peterborough tonight, uh, giving a talk on it's okay to be against whiteness, but I'll return to the topic. I went too long with John Gormley there because, well, when he and I start talking, it's, you know, two radio hosts yapping. What do you think is going to happen? We're going to talk a long time. Uh, but I will return to this because it's bothering me, this this narrative that it's being told will result in resentment. And what do you think it does, especially to young white males, to constantly be told that, well, it's bad that they're boys, and now it's also bad that if they're white, that this is a problem. We're building everybody else up and trashing one group. Oh, but they're privileged. It doesn't. We'll get into that later on. Uh, but coming up next, uh, we've got uh, the guy behind the the campaign for axing the carbon tax. Jim Carriaholis is going to join us. Perhaps the single reason that none of the candidates proposed the carbon tax in the leadership race for the PCs that just wrapped up. mad there must be resistance you're listening to beyond the news with brian Lilly on news talk 580 cfra I'm very clear on what I stand for. There's no carbon tax. Uh, we're changing the sex ed curriculum, and we're going to do what we say we're going to do. We aren't going to waffle. It's not going to be the, the political insiders, political establishment. That was Doug Ford just a week before the vote. You remember I broke that story about uh, uh, all of Christine Elliott's uh, opponents saying that she had slipped on the carbon tax and she was going to be for it. I actually think, and I said at the time, it was likely just a slip of the tongue by her. But, hey, when you're in politics and you say maybe in the future, you're going to have to explain yourself and your opponents are going to jump on it. But Doug Ford said very clear on the carbon tax. No carbon tax. Carolyn Mulroney, not now, not ever. Tanya Granik Allen, not now, not ever. Uh, 
Christine Elliott, I will not bring in a carbon tax. Why were they so opposed to it? Beyond the fact that the overwhelming majority of PC voters were against, and I remember doing a poll in uh, March of 2015, no, sorry, March of 2016, just after Patrick Brown had announced it, and we we played it for the, Patrick was one of my first guests on this radio show the day that we launched. Um, it, It happened the Monday after the convention. And Patrick was for it, even though the poll that we did showed 82% of PC voters were against it. He was still determined to do it. Well, there was a campaign started after Patrick Brown did that called Axe the Carbon Tax. And Jim Carahollis is the man behind it. He joins me on the line from Cambridge now. And Jim, I got to say, you are probably the single driving force that kept this on the front burner and saw the party walk away from this when they decided, okay, we've got to find a new leader. What, well, what drove you on this? Thanks, Brian. I, I, I like the compliment. I don't know if I can take it uh, as, as accurate or correct, because the reality is it wasn't just me. It was the grassroots party members, right? The party was, as much as Patrick wanted to say that the grassroots approved his carbon tax plan, it was not true. They never voted on a policy. He said it was off-limits at convention. And, and the majority, obviously vast majority, 82% of party members were against it. And my campaign was just shining a light on it. And, it, 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 you know, it started as a campaign to get involved with what Patrick was going to say was a grassroots process. And I was trying to, to, to create a grassroots process so that we could have a vote on the carbon tax. And I guess we gained so much steam, picked up so much steam, that he ended up saying, well, you know what, my grassroots process, I don't care what the Constitution of the party says, he said his process was going to make the carbon tax off-limits, no vote on it. So I can't take all the credit, um, but thanks for the compliment, I'll take it. But, but, you know, but I, I mean, would... you gave people, and sometimes that's all that any of us need, where do we focus our energy? And so your campaign did that, but what drove you to get behind that process? You know, you're... Uh, you're a dad down in Cambridge. Why Why are you so worried about a carbon tax? What's your problem? So I'm a federal conservative, and I was a PC Party conservative activist, uh, both for 13 years consecutive, consecutively, uh, until they revoked my membership. And, and it, you know, it was not only against my conservative principles, but there was something just sinister about it. Like, you know that your entire party's against it. You know multiple polls are showing 60% of Ontario voters are against it. And Patrick won that leadership in 2015 because he diagnosed one problem that our party had. In multiple elections, we lost elections because of policies that were unpopular imposed from the top on the grassroots. He diagnosed that. That was his main commitment, and he won. And then he brought the same crazy top-down idea, and he wanted to go into the next election with that idea. And I thought... It was going to cost us the next election. I thought it was a vote loser. It was, it was going to hamper our base, significantly hamper our base. And I thought I'd start up a grassroots campaign. A campaign. At the time, it's, you know, it, it, it sounded like it wasn't going to be too much of an exercise. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll start up this campaign, organize in some regional policy meetings. We'll go to a convention. We'll have a vote on it. It'll be over. Well, boy, things started really picking up when they, they kicked me out of the party they barred me from their convention. They handed me a lawsuit that got dismissed as trying to hamper my freedom of speech. You know, I spun out a, a sister campaign called Take Back Our PC Party to call a general meeting of the party to deal with 
not only the carbon tax, but what they were also doing was trying to ensure that their candidates were also on side, Patrick, on the carbon tax. Uh, and and, and I, think- I, I know all about that, and I want to talk about the nominations yeah. in a minute. But let's stick on the carbon sure. tax for for a moment. You've heard since the uh, since this all started, and the four candidates said we're going to back away from it. Well, you know, the smarty pants sat. Uh, that just look down their nose at people like you and I that don't want a carbon tax. Well, we're just rubes and we don't understand that we need one because, you know, the same people that tell us you can hike the minimum wage from $11.40 to $15 an hour and not impact on uh, number of hours available in a workplace will tell us that we have to put a price on carbon so that we stop using it because if you price it, then people will stop using it. They don't think things through. And you and I know that this is a bad idea. We don't want it, but all the pundits are out there saying it. You're, you know, everyone's going to hear in the lead up to the election. Well, the, the progressive conservatives—they're not very progressive anymore, and they're not really thinking. And this is a, you know, a carbon tax is really—it's a, it's a market-driven thing, so they should like it, and and it leaves a big hole in their budget. You're going to hear all these arguments on why they have to embrace it. What what should the the party with Doug is the leader now. What should the party be saying to those people uh, when it comes to that that argument? You've got to do it in the name of the environment. You've got to do it in the name of your budget. Right. So 60% of Ontario voters in three polls, Main Street, Angus Reid, and I believe the third one is Forum, are all against uh, a price on carbon. So I don't know how we have to do it. I don't know what that means, that we have to do it. Uh, it uh, it means the smarty pants that wants it. Yeah, totally. And I, I don't know what is behind their motivation for that. But, but it's clear that it's not a vote winner for the PC party. And the PC party of Ontario should not be the party in the biggest province uh, in this country, should not be the party that's rolling out the red carpet every time Justin Trudeau comes up with a new tax increase and should not be... Uh, on the other side of conservative leader Andrew Scheer going into an election in 2018 or going in a federal election in 2019. Can you imagine if we had a leader or possible premier of the PC Party of Ontario and come 2019 when Andrew Scheer's on the ballot, that leader's not going out to campaign or staying away from Andrew Scheer because the PC Party of Ontario actually supports the Justin Trudeau position on a carbon tax? Like, what a debacle that would be to undermine our federal conservative leader what a hit that would be on the conservative brand, not only in Ontario, but in Canada. It would, it would have been devastating to, to go down that road in multiple political um, angles. You had a big win with this. Now, you didn't even have to worry who was going to win to have your carbon tax issue taken care of. But your other campaign is about taking back the party in terms of nominations. They overturned Ottawa West Nepean, and I think that there were problems with that renomination, but that's another story. They overturned Scarborough. I haven't followed up what happened there, but there were several others that there were problems in. You want them to reopen all of those. Do you know where Doug Ford stands on that? I mean, we are getting close to an election. It can be tricky. It can end up making the party look real bad if things get too messy. There are also matters of principle. Where did things stand? So Doug came out of the first debate. He was championing. He said, I'm going to axe the carbon tax. I was very flattered. And then when Tanya got in the race, Tanya Granick-Allen, she took on the mantle. She was the champion for, for, for fixing the corruption of the governance of the party. And that included 
the nomination processes. And in that second debate, Doug agreed with her that we got to reopen nominations that were not done in accordance with the principles of the party constitution, which is open, public, and democratic. I wrote out a memo. I, I, I did uh, the research that's available in media reports. There appear to be eight where serious irregularities occurred. Now, that might not be accurate. There might be other information in those races that's not been publicly available. I don't know. I just put out a memo calling for nominations to be reopened that are not open, public, and democratic. There was a window of an opportunity for the PC executives to hear the appeals. They quashed it under this. Uh, they contravened the Constitution under this false idea that the leader could appoint, which he can't. I did an analysis on that. I wrote an op-ed. But now we have Tanya was the queen maker for Doug. And they both agreed that we got to reopen these nominations. And I think it would be devastating for our party to go into the next election where we have candidates anywhere in this province where the grassroots members and the voters on the ground are questioning whether those candidates were selected legitimately. I don't think it's a good idea. I think it's a recipe for disaster. And I'm hoping, I know it's a short time frame, but Tanya's going to play a big role in Doug's, on Doug's team. Uh, she, she got him over the top. And now that we've got a united team, I'm really hoping they get on top of this soon and try to do their best to fix this problem. Well, it's uh, it's going to be a, a short time window, as you say, so they better move fast if they're going to do that. You know that the Liberals are going to be out looking for absolutely everything uh, to hang on to power. And, you know, look, it's a change election. And the voters, I think, I don't think the voters are going to go back to the Liberals. So that means it's one of the other two parties. And they've got to handle it right. I agree. You've got to do these things properly, but you've got to also handle it in the right way so that they're not turned off and say, you know what? I still want change, but I want change with Andrea Horvath and the guys in orange. Yeah, that wouldn't be good. But, it, you know, Doug, Doug's a strong leader and he and he's got the mandate and the other three candidates in the race rallied against him. Even Christine admitted the party constitution wasn't followed. She's a lawyer. We saw in my lawsuit and the injunction that was filed that constitutions matter both politically and legally. Caroline said there's a crisis in the party. We've got to put our best foot forward and turn the page on this dark period in, our, in the history of the party. And, and they've got to come to terms with this quickly and, and fix this up and clean it up and put our best foot forward next election because we can't blow it one more time. All right, Jim Carey-Hollis, thanks so much for the time tonight. And people can find out more where? AxeTheCarbonTax.ca and TakeBackOurPCParty.com. All right. Thanks for the time, Jim. Thanks, Brian. If uh, if you're happy that uh, the Ontario PC say no to a carbon tax, go by Jim's website. Sign up. Say thanks to him. Thank you for listening. Thanks for sticking around. We will get to calls shortly. Coming up next, I will go into some of those details. This It's okay to be against whiteness. Uh, you only got your job because you're white. All those things being pushed in our educational institutions. What's what's the deal with trying to force a racial divide? I thought we were supposed to come together. The leader of the unofficial opposition, Brian Lilly, is on your side. Beyond the News on News Talk 580 CFRA. I got to tell you, this story about the uh, 
the, the lies CBC told, it's blowing up my website right now. It is going crazy. It's huge on Facebook. It's been shared off of my Facebook page a thousand, over a thousand times. Uh, it is the is soon to be the number one story on my website ever. And all it is is me recounting what John Gormley was tweeting about, <clears throat> what he talked about on his radio show, but detailing how CBC was literally pushing fake news. If you haven't read it yet, if you haven't shared it, please go to brianlilly.com. That's the website. Or you can go to my Facebook page or Twitter. They're both on. It's all over both of them. And share them however you do social media or however you share stories. Look, I'm sure most of you are on Facebook at the least. Or you've got friends that you email stories with. One of the things that was driving me nuts, and I know there's a few of you out there that don't have computers, but what was driving me nuts during the Ontario PC leadership race were all the people saying seniors don't have computers and seniors don't know how to use computers. My grandmother died in 2011, and she used to call me from Glasgow via Skype. Now, granted, my uncle would help set up most of it, but she wasn't afraid of of doing things on, on the computer. She died at 101 in 2011. My mom is in her 70s. My stepdad is about to turn 70. That'll be a party later this year. And both of them fully capable of using computers. Their golf league down in Florida, it's all done on computers. Their bocce league up in Hamilton, yeah, you can tell they live in Hamilton in a bocce league. Uh, all the scheduling, all the stats, it's done online, shared online. That's not everyone. I realize that. But acting as if seniors have never been near computers just drives me around the bend. We've had the Internet for more than 20 years now, folks. I was coding my own website 20 years ago. And the Internet had been around for a few years before that. And computers were around long before that. I still think that this PC vote showed why paper ballots are best. Uh, But... It's worth remembering, seniors, most of them, have a clue when it comes to computers. Some of the most active people on Facebook, believe you me. Would love to hear from you when we come back from the break. On this push by educators, whether it is this university professor at Trent tonight, I believe it's tonight, it's this week, with his lecture on it's okay to be against whiteness, or the school district in BC claiming that their people are only in their jobs because of undeserved privilege, well, then just quit your job, resign, and let somebody that's deserving have your job. We've got that on the one side, and on the other side, CBC pushing fake news to to push a racial divide that shouldn't exist. What's going on in our society on that front? That's one of the things I want to talk about when we come back at 521-TALK, 521-8255. 
star 580 on Bell Mobility and 1-800-580-CFRA. That, and I'll also go through a list of the reasons why Kathleen Wynne has to go. You want reasons to vote for Doug Ford? I'll give them to you when we come back. Insurgent. Believe it. The resistance is here. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. I got some audio you got to hear. Wow, you've got to hear this. But before I get to it, if you come downtown like I do, uh, you go along the ceremonial routes, and the ceremonial route would be along the canal up Colonel By, uh, along Sussex Drive, along Wellington in front of Parliament, across on the the Quebec side in front of the uh, uh, Museum of History, up towards Rideau Hall, these are the ceremonial routes that visiting dignitaries take. And so when a visiting dignitary is coming, they put up the flag of the visiting country, and it alternates, Canadian flag, visiting country flag. So the other day, I, I noticed it was, it was kind of dark out there. I was like, oh, is, this, is that the Belgians coming? I didn't hear about that. The Belgians are coming. Oh, Okay. And then I saw it in the daylight, and yet it was, oh, okay, yeah, it's definitely the flag of Belgium. You know, a lot of these European countries, their flags, you know, it's three stripes of various colors, and it can be confusing. Well, I guess that's what happened at Rideau Hall, because it was the king and queen of Belgium doing their first visit, a state visit, first visit in over 40 years to Canada. And while they got the flags along the ceremonial route correct, at a, a little ceremony where there was a tree planted by Belgium's Queen uh, Fabiola in 1977. They had a Canadian and a German flag up. Now, both flags have three stripes. They uh, share the same color of yellow, red, and black. But the German stripes are vertical and... The Belgian stripes are horizontal, and no, the Belgians are vertical and the Germans are horizontal. See, I'm even getting that mixed up, and they're in different orders. So, but it was just a small handheld flag that was there. The main ones were fine, but I'll tell you how out of touch I am. I I thought the German flag still had the uh, the two headed eagle on it. You know, maybe that's the old West German flag. And I'm dating myself. I don't know. I don't know. Hillary Clinton. And I'm going to relate this back to Kathleen Wynne. Hillary Clinton likes to dismiss people that disagree with her. And Kathleen Wynne does to a degree, although Kathleen Wynne is far more likable than Hillary Clinton. 
and some of you will think I'm crazy for saying that, but if you meet Kathleen Wynne, you go to events where she's at, she disarms people. And that's what a good politician will do. You know, they know they're going to meet people that are angry at them. And they find a way of putting people at ease and calming down the situation. And Kathleen Wynne's very good at that. Hillary, not so much because she's not a likable person. That's why she didn't win. Her husband won because he was likable. He was a complete rogue. He was complete cad. He, you know, he's all the things she's supposed to be against. But people liked him. So they kept voting for him. That and Ross Perot gave them the election the first time by splitting the vote with George H.W. Bush, but that's a story for another day. Hillary Clinton's off in India now, and she can't give up on trying to explain that it's not her fault she didn't win the election. It's not her fault that she couldn't beat Donald Trump, a man that everyone on the left would tell you that is singularly unqualified to be president, that he has an awful demeanor that he's a horrible person, that he's a rube, he's an idiot. But she couldn't beat him, okay? And you remember during the election, she called people that were opposed to her deplorables. The basket of deplorables. And that was even worse than Obama with people that cling to their God and their guns and their religion. Well, you won't believe what she's going to say here. You've got to listen through for the rest of it. But at the beginning, she fluffs herself up. She's so good. She's important. She got the, the votes of the smart people. But anyone that voted for Trump was just an outright bigot. If you look at the map of the United States, there's all that red in the middle where Trump won. I win the coasts. I win, you know, Illinois and Minnesota, places like that. But what the map doesn't show you is that I won the places that represent two-thirds of America's gross domestic product. So I won the places that are optimistic, diverse, dynamic, moving forward. And his whole campaign, Make America Great Again, was looking backwards. You know, you didn't like black people getting rights. You don't like women, you know, getting jobs. You don't want to, you know, see that Indian American succeeding more than you are. Whatever your problem is, I'm going to solve it. What a load of hooey. I can't believe that woman. But that attitude, the reason that I relate this back to Kathleen Wynne and the, and the Ontario election I was writing today about Doug Ford. It's one of the pieces up at brianlilly.com. I was writing about Ford and, 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 and the way that the, his detractors look at him. Now, not everyone. Not everyone. And Warren Kinsella, regular on this program, says, underestimate Doug Ford at your peril. And here's why he's good. And he's got a, a piece up on his website of 10 tweets about Doug Ford that explain him. And he takes him seriously. But the folks that dismiss Ford look at Ford and Ford voters the way Hillary Clinton looks at people that voted for Donald Trump. You know, you didn't like black people getting rights. You don't like women, you know, getting jobs. You don't want to, you know, see that Indian American succeeding more than you are. Whatever your problem is, I'm going to solve it. And, and, And who backed her? So I won the places that are optimistic, diverse, dynamic, moving forward. 
you are a bitter, bitter woman. Now, Kathleen Wynn will not go that bitter. She won't. It's not her style. Her demeanor is far different than Hillary Clinton. But her supporters have that same view of Rob Ford or Doug Ford. They have that same view of Doug Ford. They have that that same view of the PCs. And if you say that you're backing the progressive conservatives in this next election, you will be called someone. I got it today. Why do you hate health care? Why do you want to scrap the health care system? Why do you hate schools? You know that you get that. It's completely wrong, but you know that you get it. Kathleen Wynne has to go. She has had far too long in this province messing things up. I don't care how nice she is. I don't care how grandmotherly she is. I don't care that John Fraser is a heck of a nice guy. By the way, if you want to eat free pancakes on John Fraser tomorrow, it's the Hunt Club Riverside Community Association. You can go eat a big pancake breakfast for free on uh, John Fraser. I think it's from 7 to 9. Free breakfast on John. You heard it here first. He's a nice guy, but he's backed the wrong leader and the wrong policies for too long. And they've had a disastrous effect. I want to hear from you on why Kathleen Wynne has to go at 521-TALK, 521-8255. Are you ready to get behind Doug Ford, regardless of who you backed in the Ontario PC leadership? But I'll detail. I'll get into the detail next. I I found that that, thanks to John for sending that in, that that, uh, clip of Hillary Clinton. That is unbelievable. But it's also how... The people that don't vote PC look at you. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-CFRA. If you miss Brian Lilly, don't worry. Everyone else will catch up next week. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Do you know the name Stuart Klein? Stuart Klein should have um, he should have been finishing up his vacation in Mexico right now. Instead, his uh, his family's had to deal with a funeral for him. He's seventy one year old from London, Ontario. He's vacationing in Puerto Vallarta. He suffered a burst blood vessel. He was rushed into surgery in a Mexican hospital. Stuart Klein was treated. He was stabilized. And then they wanted to transfer him back home. They had no beds for him in London, Ontario. No beds for an Ontario man, a Canadian citizen, an Ontario citizen, being cared for in a Mexican hospital. 
they flew him to St. Catharines eventually. Now, according to the story on ctvnews.ca, it's about 200 kilometers from his home. I would estimate that to be accurate. He died in St. Catharines on March 1st. Sorry, he died a couple days later. He was flown to St. Catharines on March 1st. Stuart Klein is a victim of our healthcare system that Kathleen Wynne says will disintegrate if we don't reelect her. If this is what is good health care, what on earth is bad? Kathleen Wynne is warning that if we don't reelect her, we are going to face cuts. Really? Because you've been starving the healthcare system. You have been messing around with it for so long. You and your uh, colleagues, maybe spending's going up overall, but you've cut what is covered, what's accessible, and then you add on things like OHIP Plus, where you promise everyone that their kids' medicines, oh, kids, anyone under the age of 25, as long as you haven't hit your 25th birthday, your prescription drugs are covered by the province of Ontario now. It's not free. I'm paying for it. You're paying for it. We're all paying for it. She adds on things like that and promises the moon, and then parents like me and how how many others of you found out, okay, well, your kid's prescription isn't covered. Huh. Huh. But she's going to tell us, without her, the system will fall apart. I'd say it's falling apart already. That's one reason that Kathleen Wynne has to go. You want others? How about just last week, $650,000 on branding for the Ontario Pot Shop. They've got a monopoly, and they spent $650,000 to come up with a a new logo for the pot shop. You could have got it on Fiverr for a heck of a lot cheaper. Do you know Fiverr? You can go on this website. It's Fiverr.com, and the promise is you can spend a Fiverr and get all kinds of things. Now, if you want something more, you're going to pay a little bit extra. But what did we pay to redesign the, the Trillium logo that looks like three guys in a hot tub? What was that? I think that was $215,000 to redesign the Trillium logo from, well, looking like a Trillium to look, looking like three guys with their arms out over the edge of a hot tub. Now we spend $650,000 on a... Ontario Pot Shop logo that looks like it was done in Microsoft Paint. We wasted a billion dollars on gas plants that were never built to save Wynn's backside. And she can claim, well, that was the previous government. She wasn't part of it. She was not only in cabinet, which would have had to have made the decision, but she was the campaign co-chair. And it was made in the middle of an election. She damn well knew about those billion dollars. You've got her top aide 
and a top local kingmaker up in Sudbury that faced bribery charges that I still don't know how they were acquitted of. Orange Air Ambulance, eHealth, the millions spent on partisan ads, the killing off of the manufacturing sector with jobs going to Quebec and the United States, zero growth in northern Ontario because they can't get the rain of fire correctly. They can't fix that. Our students not able to pass grade six math, they can't even meet, 50% of them cannot meet the provincial standard in grade six math. And she's warning us if she's not in charge, things are going to get bad. Spending on education has ballooned, even as enrollment has gone down and as standards have gone down. Because it's not about teaching what we used to call the three R's. It's about teaching liberal ideology. And that's in math as much as in sex ed. This is a government that does not deserve to be reelected, no matter which file you look at. And that woman is going to tell you, vote for her or things will get bad. No, things are bad, lady. And that's why you have to go. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. He's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. I'm completely blown away by... How much people are taking to the story of CBC pushing fake news? Quite literally, fake news, nothing but fake news, with a racial divide agenda. This is a story I told you about uh, just over an hour ago now with John Gormley. And full credit to Gorms. I saw him tweeting about it. And then someone emailed me and said, you know, because everyone knows I like stories against CBC. And they're like, have you seen this story? This is huge. CBC. And I'm like, okay, well, check it. Wow. It is huge. If you missed that part of the show, you can find the story at brianlilly.com. You can hear the audio and I'll post my audio with John up there later. And he's promised there's going to be more tomorrow. But here's the basics. CBC ran this story on the Gerald Stanley murder trial, claiming that Gerald Stanley is the farmer that was acquitted in the second-degree murder trial um, where he, no one denies that he killed Colton Bushy. It was a question of, was it murder? And the jury said no. Well, since then, the prime minister said, we've got to completely revamp our justice system. We have to change the way juries work because, you know, hundreds of years of legal precedent should be thrown out the window because it's not the result he wanted. 
CBC lied on two fronts. They put out a story claiming that Gerald Stanley had essentially gotten special treatment from the RCMP and that they did sloppy and negligent work. The two claims were that the RCMP took Stanley in, photographed him at the local RCMP detachment, then let him go. Said, oh, come on back tomorrow and give us your statement then. The second thing is they didn't seize his clothing so they could examine it for blood splatter and gunpowder residue. They claimed that and, and, and went to experts who, upon hearing this, said, well, that's horrible, that's sloppy, that's negligent, and that's what's in their headline. Except those two things are not true. The RCMP took Gerald Stanley in the day of the incident, August 9th, 2016. They charged him immediately with murder. They put him in a cell. When they were able to come back to him, They swabbed his hands for gunpowder residue. They seized his clothing. And then they kept him overnight. And he didn't make a statement. He was interrogated for four hours. And all of this is contained in court documents accessible to CBC. And that if they talked to their reporter that covered it, would have known about it. But they didn't because it didn't fit their narrative. And their narrative is, everyone's a racist. You're all racists. This is a racist society. We've got to change it. And this is their investigative unit. This is David Commons. Normally far better than this. And a producer from their investigative unit. It is shameful. They have had to retract both of those things. But they still stand by the rest of the story. They still stand by all the comments that they got from experts, comments that were based off of CBC telling those experts that Gerald Stanley wasn't detained, that he was allowed to go home, that they didn't seize his clothing. Fake news with an agenda. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-CFRA. And if, like Antonio, you've got comments, statements, questions about Doug Ford, Would love to take your call. Doug and I aren't buds. Not going to say that Doug and I know each other great, but I know him well enough. We've talked on the phone. We've done interviews. We've run into each other at events and quite literally on the streets in Toronto. And I've got, I think I've got a good sense of who Doug Ford is. I'm not going to say I know him as well as Bill Carroll, but in the building, I'd say I'm the second guy, you know, who has a clue on who Doug Ford is? 521-TALK, 521-8255. Antonio, you're on Beyond the News. Yes, i like to talk about Mr. Ford. Uh, the way I feel it, he's been elected, so I think people should respect that point of view. But this morning I was looking at the paper, and there was a couple articles put very negative on him, compared him to Mr. Trump. And talking about Mr. Trump, I had friends of mine visiting me from East the United States. They're all for Trump. So the way I look at it, democracy means majority. You got the majority, so people which doesn't believe in him should shut up and just follow the rules. Oh, no, no, Antonio. Trump is horrible. You heard that from Hillary Clinton while she was in India today. Oh, yeah? Yeah, she's, well, she, she well, talked she's, about how everyone that voted for Trump doesn't like women and immigrants. Well, she is, uh, she is a little bit of, uh, you know, 
because let's forget about what the husband did. So Hillary is not in a position to judge anyway. But to talk about but, Mr. Ford, but, so don't, I don't know him. I don't know him much. But the way I look at it, he's been elected. Well, give him a give him a chance. Let's see what he can do. It would you would, would you vote for him? Well, well, first off, are you a PC party member? No, I'm not. Okay, so you and didn't I never vote. I never vote PC, but I think this time I'm going to do it because I think Win is ruining this province completely. Ruin it. It's hard to argue against that because that would be factually correct. Yeah, <laughs> well, and I will never and I will never vote NDP. I don't believe in socialist government, but I think Ford, I don't know much about him. Only The only reason I know about him is because of his brother. But doesn't mean that he can be whatever, okay? Let's give him a chance. Let's see what he can do. He won. He won legally. That's it. That's all. Yep. And, and you know, if he says he's going to put the frontline workers, whether it's uh, in the private sector or the public se- sector, he'll put them first, then the people of Ontario are going to benefit. Yeah. Well, apparently, the regular people in the street, they want to take pictures with him. They love him. So let's see what he can do. It. Okay. Thanks for the call, Antonio. Thank you very much. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-CFRA. I got an email in about the racial divide, which is related to the topic of CBC that I was talking about and their absolute lies. And it's from Stefan who says, Brian, I grew up watching TV shows such as Different Strokes and Webster. Don't mention Good Times, Sanford and Son and the Jeffersons, the Fat Albert cartoon. Stefan, I don't remember you being in my basement with me. That sounds like everything I watched. He goes on, these shows were set out to do racial healing. And I believe for most Gen Xers, we stopped thinking uh, in the lines of race. This racial divide and or gender divide come out of the these ruthless postmodernist communist and Marxist that are using race and gender from the book rules for radicals to create victimhood to divide us in order to get the power of the state for their own benefit at the expense of others. Well said, well said, but let's remind everyone what Hillary Clinton said earlier today, because Hillary Clinton, you know, She called people a basket of deplorables in the middle of the election campaign. That was worse than Mitt Romney pointing out that correctly that 47% of Americans don't pay taxes. At least they didn't in 2012. She actually said Americans were deplorable. And listen to how she describes the Americans that did not vote for her while she was in India today if you look at the map of the united states there's all that red in the middle where trump won i win the coasts i win you know illinois and minnesota places like that but what the map doesn't show you is that i won the places that represent two-thirds of america's gross domestic product so i won the places that are optimistic diverse dynamic moving forward And his whole campaign, Make America Great Again, was looking backwards. You know, you didn't like black people getting rights. You don't like women, you know, getting jobs. You don't want to, you know, see that Indian American succeeding more than you are. Whatever your problem is, I'm going to solve it. Really? That's what she thinks of her opponent. That's 
Actually, that's not what she thinks of her opponent. That's what she thinks of Americans that voted for him. She thinks that they don't like women, that they don't like any immigrants, that they don't like blacks. It's a lovely way to look at your fellow countrymen. By the way, that means you think that of half of your fellow countrymen. Because roughly half of Americans that voted in the last election voted for the guy that beat you. But this is the divide on how progressives look at conservatives. And by the way, the name progressive conservative has to be done away with. I tell you, if I was running for party leader, that would be part of my platform. I can explain why it needs to go and why it has no historic need there. It was put there not because they wanted to be progressives and conservatives at the same time, but because they were trying to get someone to lead the federal party. I'll tell you that story later. But she actually looks down. She looks down her nose, and most progressives do at anyone that doesn't think exactly like they do. It's not that they disagree with you. It's they think that you are stupid and a rube. Don't let them put you in that pigeonhole. Don't let them make you feel that you're lesser than because you don't want to vote for a government that has been corrupt and incompetent for most of its 15-year tenure. You don't want to vote for a government that believes hallway health care is the way of the future in Ontario. You don't want to vote for a government that believes it's just fine that 50% of children in grade 6 can't meet the provincial standard in math. You know what their solution is? Not change the way we're teaching math, just make them study it longer. It's like the teacher that I'm sure you had it, I know I had it, lots of us did. You don't understand the math problem, and you got that math genius that's the teacher that can't understand why you don't get it, and you're like, "Uh, sir, I'm not really following what you're saying. So then your math teacher just repeats what they were saying about the math problem louder. As if you're deaf. It's kind of how they look at you. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. You can listen to B-Lil now or catch up with everyone else next week. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. We're going to turn that around. We're going to reduce hydro rates, start attracting great paying jobs and and businesses. We're going to go down to the border and put that big neon sign. I've been talking about Ontario's open for business. Oh, that'll be nice to see when it happens. Doug Ford, Ontario's new leader of the Progressive Conservative Party of Ontario. And unless something drastic happens, and hey, who knows these days, He will be Ontario's next premier. Ford saying he's confident the party's going to succeed against Kathleen Wynne 
and the Liberals come June 7th. We're going to win areas that have never went uh, PC before. Hamilton, Windsor, Thunder Bay. We're going to win those ridings because people want hope. People that belong to the NDP and Liberals that came up to me said, Doug, I'm voting for you, which is great. And I think he's right. Um, Of course, I do remember when there were certain parts of Hamilton that would vote PC, but I think that Ford will win areas that you wouldn't assume. Now, I also think that had Christine Elliott won, an area like Ottawa South, where John Fraser's in, that John would be pretty scared. I think the people in Alta Vista will turn their nose up at Doug Ford. People in Ottawa Vanier, maybe not. Mona Forte should be worried. You know, it's going to be an interesting election. For the first time in a long time, it will be a very interesting election. George, in the prior, you're on Beyond the News. Two things. I get a feeling they're going to start a campaign like they did for Trump. Anybody but Doug campaign. Don't you get that feeling in the background? Um, well, an anybody but Doug campaign, that would yeah. have to happen during the uh, uh, during the, the leadership campaign. In the you, elections. Too, you mean in the election? Yeah. I think they're gonna, I get that feeling in the background. He's sort of suggesting that. They're going to go to every party and go anybody but Doug you know, you know I, I think that if it weren't 15 years into a liberal government that a lot of NDP voters would be tempted. Mm. But I think they look at Kathleen Wynne and say, that's a disaster. So I, I'm not going for her. I'm sticking well, with Andrea Horvath. The thing that worries me is they're not telling the truth to the people in Ontario, all the parties. Well, what they don't tell them is that no matter which party gets elected, they're going to have tough times. But, but the, the problem is... Who's going to give them the toughest times? Right? That's the problem. You have to choose between uh, the well, peace. Yeah, that, that that would be Kathleen Wynne and the Liberals. Yeah, they give her the tougher time, but still, they're going to have tough, tough, dramatically bad times, and they still. Have I I, I don't think so. I don't well, think so. I think if I think if Ford gets in, what you're going to see is jobs and investment coming back to uh, coming back to Can- uh, Ontario, George. I'm going to the predictions that I have eh, on one weather and stuff and climate and things. Affecting the business cycles, and the business cycles look uh, pretty uh, unstable. All right. Well, we'll see. Okay. Uh, all, right. all right. We're going to go to CNN quickly because Justin Trudeau's on with Anderson Cooper right now. Can we pot that up? Last week, President Trump accepted an invitation to meet with uh, North Korea's leader Kim Jong Un. Do you think President Trump should meet with him? And do you have any concerns regarding the risks of a face-to-face meeting between the two? Well, I, I, Canada has always uh, said that uh, of the challenge of escalation on the of tensions on the Korean Peninsula. Uh, diplomatic and political solutions are the way to go, not military solutions. That's why we were glad to host the Vancouver conference uh, about a month ago uh, to gather together a broad range of, of uh, allies from around the world. Uh, we're going to continue to hope that there are political solutions. And, and if, uh, uh, if this meeting happens, then uh, we hope that it uh, leads to good things. Prime Minister Trudeau, I appreciate your time. Thank you. All right, there we go. Anderson Cooper talking with Justin Trudeau. We missed where he was talking about um, trade and tariffs and all of that. I'm sure you'll hear more about it in the next little while. And I was talking about Ottawa South and the nicest guy in politics, John Fraser. By the way, free breakfast on John tomorrow, 7 and 9, I believe it is, at the Hunt Club Riverside Community Center. Go eat pancakes on him. Uh, and now Jeff is calling in from that very same ride. Uh, Jeff, you're on Beyond the News. Hey, Brian, how you doing? Doing well. Uh, that's good. I'm uh, optimistic Doug with Doug Ford. 
I am very optimistic as well, and I think it was a very good choice. And um, if he happens to win in, uh, you know, being the premier, I would just like to call it poetic justice. And uh, if he can keep those four ladies with him there, I think they would be one great team. I to think get so. Out, I, I, out of this hall, I think uh, Christine Elliott. Uh, those were the only two with a chance of winning. Uh, I think any any of the four could have beaten Kathleen Wynn, but. I think Christine Elliott would do a great job if she were premier as well. But Absolutely. What I, what I look portfolio, at portfolio, I think they would all be great uh, in, yeah, in the Put them in cabinet areas. spots. Exactly, and uh, that's what's needed. And, yep, some of them aren't experienced, but they know how to count. And that's the I, important thing, right? I, what I would say is that uh, what I'm happy about with Doug is his business acumen and success. He will understand the costs and the red tape that have been put on business that have driven jobs out of this province, Absolutely. he will understand them more than anybody else and will hopefully say, we got to get rid of this. This Absolutely. is too much. Absolutely. And then for all he's been through with his brother and stuff, uh, Doug Ford knows who all the left wingers are collecting a right wing paycheck. And I think they're all a little scared right now. All right. Well, hopefully, hopefully John Fraser is a little bit scared. You live in Ottawa South. Go get free pancakes on him tomorrow, though. He's a nice guy. Tell him I said hi. Tell him I sent you free pancakes from uh, from uh, John Fraser tomorrow. Right on, Brian. Great show. Thank you, man. <laughs> Thank you. All right. That's going to wrap the show tonight. I do want to tell you again, go by com. One story that I didn't get a chance to talk about. Uh, as I say, I'll write about more than I'll talk about on the show because there's different focuses and there's different things that take up our time. Liberal MPs are scared of Justin Trudeau's gun control legislation. That's right. Liberal MPs are freaking out over what he's going to bring in. And Justin's response? Well, you got to go to brianlilly.com to find out. But it ain't pretty. Back at it tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Remember, I'm on your side.